Well, turn in your Bibles to Mark 15. We're going we're gonna to land the Mark plane over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've been in Mark for a long time and bouncing around other places as opportunity arises. Uh, kiddos, your children's bulletin, if you're following on in our children's bulletins, the children's team always puts words to listen for. And you kind of like keep track of how many times and he says, like I say you know, certain words. So let me give you a couple of others. What about heart? See, see how many times I say the word heart uh, this morning uh, as, as the sermon. Usually the children's bulletin is written long before the sermon. So um, just add that to the children's bulletin this morning. Uh, McShane, you can follow along that way too as well. Be good. <laughs> Well, we are going straight from the manger to the cross, uh, from the virgins and shepherds uh, to crooked priests and Roman soldiers, uh, from Christmas to Calvary, from hosts of angels singing glory in the highest to, to, to crowds yelling, crucify him. It's quite a turn. It's quite a, a direction change that we're, we're taking from wise men looking for a newborn king to crimes written in red on a placard that says King of the Jews, from the embrace of a young mother and father to cold iron spikes and splintery wood. We shouldn't, as we think about the cross, as we think about the crucifixion, we, we shouldn't become obsessed with the physical pain of it all, Although that certainly is, is there, we shouldn't become obsessed with the, the suffering and the gore of the cross, but neither should we dismiss it or gloss over it. Jesus experienced that particular horror in a, a fully human way. Uh, excruciating, the word excruciating literally means from the cross, right? The fact that Jesus was also fully God didn't make the cross easier to bear. If anything, it made the horror more terrible. C.S. Lewis's description of the crucifixion from the four loves, he says this, he creates the universe already foreseeing, or should we say seeing, there are no tenses in God, the buzzing clouds of flies about the cross the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the medial nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops, the repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time for breath's sake hitched up. If I may dare the biological image, God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites causes us to be that we may exploit and take advantage of him. Herein is love. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. In the cross, the heart of God for broken people is revealed. That's our, that's our premise this morning. That in the cross, the heart of God for broken people is revealed. It reveals his love his lordship, and his determination to save. So let's read from Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 21. Hold on just a second. Oh, my Bible is not cooperating. 
It is printed on page 10 of your worship guide. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by decided, derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see him and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, May the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the cross reveals the heart of God for his broken people, and the first thing that it reveals is it reveals his love. Um, The sight of a condemned person uh, carrying his cross to the place of execution was was a fairly common sight in Jesus' day. We'll start back in verse 20 and verse 21. Here in Mark 15, it says, And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. It would have looked something like this. Here is Jesus, the condemned man, standing in the middle of a squad of four Roman soldiers, and he was carrying the cross beam of the cross, which weighed up to a hundred pounds, on his back, and it was resting on those those torn shoulders. Remember, they had just they had just put Jesus through a brutal beating. Uh, the soldiers did and flogging, and. All of this procession would have been preceded by a man with a placard on a sign holding it up in front of everybody that says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, the the crime for which the condemned one was being executed. So that everyone would know and everyone would see and the deterrent factor would be fully in play there. And this road that they took uh, is known as the road of sorrows, as the condemned ones goes out from the, the place to be executed. And they took the longest possible route that they could through the city just to maximize the visibility of the spectacle and what was going on. And so that as many people as possible could witness this horror and be properly motivated to fear the Romans and to stay in line. And here among the crowd was this, this man, this bystander. His name was Simon, and he was from the North African area known as Cyrene, and presumably he was a Jew in town for the Passover celebration and feast with his family. And this 
certainly would have made an impact. I mean, put yourself in the, the shoes of Simon here, and it would have made an impact on Simon and his family. And remember that Mark is writing to Roman Christians. He's writing to, to Christians in Rome. And in, in the book of Roman, Paul writes this in, in chapter 16, verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. We're, we're told that this Simon is the, the father of uh, one of his sons called Rufus. And we, we can't know for sure if this is the same Rufus that he's talking about, but that sort of connects. And we want to say, like, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be just like God, right? Wouldn't that be just like God to, to work this way? Anyway, the Mark continues on in verses 22 and 23. It says, and they they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. This was the, the only mercy the Romans ever showed to any of their crucifixion victims was to offer them this wine mixed with myrrh, which was basically a narcotic to, to dull the pain. Uh, but Jesus maintained his clarity of thought throughout this whole period. In other words, he was fully present as he bore the weight of his suffering. And as they reached the spot, Simon dropped the crossbeam onto the ground, and the soldiers threw Jesus across it, and they stretched his arms out and nailed them to the bar, and they lifted up the height lifted him up the height of the, the crux simplex, the, the upright beam of the cross. And there they nailed his feet together with a single large spike. And Jesus repeatedly had to lift himself up, putting weight on that spike in order to take a breath. Verses 24 and 25 continues. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. This was the ultimate degradation. To even like mention the cross in, in polite society was a great shame. This was the ultimate degradation. It was, it was sheer lunacy to suppose anyone would follow, much less worship, a Savior who had been crucified. Like, we're not offended by all of that much anymore, or, or maybe we're offended by everything, and therefore we're really offended by nothing, but we're, we're not that offended, although in some ways we're the most offended people in history, but, but we have actually, as a culture and a society, learned how to monetize people's offense and outrage uh, we've learned how to, to generate billions in advertising revenue on social media and, and cable news based on people being offended and outraged. But there aren't really all that many words or symbols that cause us just to flinch, just to turn away. We've become numb to things that probably should cause us to flinch in horror. So much so much hard that even to mention them is offensive. Words, images, symbols, whatever it is. I mean, we would, we would be rightly, rightly horrified by an electric chair, right? But none of us more than likely has ever even seen an execution by any means. 
or, or even been in the room when it happens, right? So it's still somewhat abstract to most of us. But imagine that if on any given day, it was possible that you were unable to avoid walking by someone being executed by electric chair, or even worse, the cross, that, that your children would be subjected to the same sights Naked bodies, bloody and writhing on a cross, screaming in pain, like it would become so loathsome to you that the mere mention of the cross is just a horror. And it's at the cross that the heart of Jesus' love for his people is most radiantly seen. Remember, what, what is Mark's whole point in writing his gospel? It is to present the Savior as one to whom you cannot be neutral. His whole point is that there is no neutrality to Jesus. He is either the divine Son of God sent to save his people, or he's not. He's a fraud or worse. You either leave him to fade into obscurity, or you follow him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Mark's gospel, there's no, there's no middle way. There's, there's really, truly no middle way anywhere. But there's also this other central understanding of who Jesus is that Jesus himself gives us, this, this thesis of his life, this mission statement of his own life as he expresses it. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The heart of Jesus' love for sinners is to die, to atone for their sin. Paul says, follow Jesus in this way. Let your love for one another be patterned after Jesus' love for you. We read it earlier in our confession. Philippians 2 says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself to the, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Pour into that verse all of the horror, the degradation, the shame, humiliation, and pain of the cross Make those words mean more, even death on a cross. It's hard for me to love that sacrificially. It's really impossible. I'm one who flies into a berserker rage when my dog wakes me up in the middle of the night. I, I don't want to love others in a way that costs me something. But I have a Savior who has done that for me. I have his Spirit working in me to produce fruit like love and joy and patience. I have brothers and sisters around me to encourage me and correct me when I fail. I have a a never-ending treasury of grace when when I repent. The work he accomplished on the cross is still shaking my soul with the revelation of his love. And my calling to him through his love. And my needs are still being met by his love. And he's doing all this freely by grace. The cross reveals the heart of God for his broken people. It reveals his love, but also reveals his lordship. Verses 25 and 26. And it was the third hour when they crucified him and the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. 
Unwittingly, Jesus' crucifiers have proclaimed truth. John's gospel tells us that the rulers tried to get the inscription changed, right? In, in John nineteen twenty one through 22, so the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. In other words, it is what it is. It's not getting changed. Well, this last Thursday was uh, Epiphany, the 12th day after Christmas. And Epiphany marks the arrival of the wise men uh, to see the newborn king as they followed his star. And, and it, even in Jesus' life here, just a week prior to this, not even, the crowds were welcoming him into the city, waving palm branches and proclaiming him the king of the Jews, right? The in, in, in Revelation, as we see the, the truth of who Jesus is revealed, the, the hero of history on a white horse comes in and it says on his robe and on his thigh, he is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The cross proclaims Jesus' love like nothing else could. It also proclaims his lordship. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. This is not a a safe lord who is content to let his people sit idle. That if you have experienced his love, you must obey his demands. In other words, if your identity is in what Christ has accomplished for you by his love on the cross, your activity should reflect the love of Jesus of Nazareth, king of the church. If Jesus, your Lord, came not to be served but to serve, what should your posture be? Ephesians 5 tells husbands to love their wives as Christ has loved the church. So husbands, dads, let me talk to you for just a second. You are the lead servant of your family. What that means is you don't expect to get greeted at the door with your house slippers and the TV remote and a plate of nachos. That is is not the order of things. It means that you're being spent helping with homework when your brain is fried from all-day meetings. It means standing at the sink with aching feet and back and doing the dishes because your wife has a Zoom meeting. It means emotionally holding the pain of your teenager as he or she tells you about all of their fear and anxiety knowing that you can't fix it. It means praying for your family. What else does it mean? What does it mean in in your context as you open your Bibles and read about the character and love of your Savior Jesus, what demands do you read there? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love and worship God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Sacrifice your rights for the service and benefit of others. Proclaim the gospel to the lost. If these demands feel overwhelming to you, and they do to me, 
I know I can't meet all that my king demands of me, but he's still my king. Let me bring you back to this final point. The cross reveals the heart of God for his broken people. It reveals his love. It reveals his lordship. But it also reveals his determination to save. Remember that when Jesus was being hoisted none too gently on the cross, his cross was positioned between two others. There were two other crosses on either side of him. And verse 27 says, and when they crucified him, and, when they, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And, and Luke uh, gives us more detail in chapter 23. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The two thieves both had sin within them. Jesus had no sin within him. One criminal bore his own sin on the cross. He had sin on him. The other criminal believed in Jesus and his sin was on Christ. Jesus bore his sin on the cross. The cross reveals the heart of God for his broken people. Behold, Behold the great love Jesus has for us. Yield to the rule, to his rule as Lord. Never fail to return to the cross because you will fail in yielding to his rule. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we may die to sin and live to righteousness By his wounds you have been healed. This table, the table that we we come to, is one of the ways Jesus heals us with his wounds. We, We reenact his wounds as we gather for this feast. That that we we tear bread into pieces and we say it's his body. We, we look at the redness of the wine as we hold up the cup and we say, this is his blood. But we also recognize the love that invites us to come. And as we come and consume the meal, we are changed by the mysterious working of his spirit within us. It's all grace. I'm reading uh, a book of poems by George Herbert uh, called The Temple, and I, just, I read this this morning. Love is that liquor sweet and most divine, which my God feels as blood, but I as wine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you that 
that you have set for us a table in your own broken body and shed blood that you have you have not condemned but rather welcomed sinners to your feast that you have demonstrated your heart ultimately on the cross and and we get to see it again and again week after week demonstrated in the setting of this table as we come to it the great love that you have for your people and Lord, we pray that you would, would bless our coming. Lord, I, I feel my need right now. I feel regret and shame over a particular sin at this moment. Lord, your table is set for me in this moment. Your son died to bear the shame and guilt of that specific sin that is on my heart. And Lord, I pray that as we come to this table this morning, your spirit would recall and recount to our minds those particular ways that we have grieved you by what we've done and what we've not done, and that we would find here the resource of your grace, that you would use this point in our week to draw us back to you, that you would use this bread and this wine to communicate to our hearts the deep and abiding truth of the gospel. Lord, we we pray that you would be glorified in all of these things and all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.